Hey y'all, I'm Erin Bagwell. And I'm Diana Matthews. Welcome to Beaver Talk, the podcast where we give Hollywood unsolicited advice about feminism. In our world, you shouldn't have to use the search button on Netflix to find Lady Gaga's documentary. Tony Bennett isn't just B-roll. And Mark Ronson isn't a co-star in a movie about Mother Monster. Join us as we deep dive into all the things that fire us up about film and television. The glorious, the misogynistic, and the groundbreaking. This is Beaver, Beaver Talk. Talk. Diana. I don't even know where to start with you this morning. I feel like a crazy person. Yeah. Should we just let people in on what (laughs) happened to us? Yes, please. (laughs) Personally afflicted, personally victimized by Netflix yesterday. Yeah, Diana and I, Diana came over and we watched the Lady Gaga documentary Five Foot Two. We were so excited. So had such great expectations. We're like, I I feel like honestly, this documentary to me kind of felt like it came out of the blue. Like we saw it on her Twitter, got so excited. It was like such a, a joyful, I don't know, excitement that it was coming. You know, we got together to watch it. It was like a real celebration. And I don't know, there's just, there's so much to talk about. There's so much to dive into. I would first kind of love to know kind of what your relationship to Gaga is. Like, let's start at the beginning of, of what it is and what she kind of means to each of us. I think that would be cool. So why don't you, what's your? My relationship your, to Queen, to the Queen? Yes, to Mother Monster. What's Mother your, Monster herself. So yes. when I was in grade seven or eight, mm-hmm. I remember... I was driving to a movie or our mom was, my mom was driving me and my friend to a movie and my friend said, Hey, have you heard this song? Just dance. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, what's that? What's like, I haven't heard it at all. Who is it by? And she said, it's by this woman out of New York named Lady Gaga. And the video is incredible and she's just so cool. And I can't believe you know, in our little like 13 year old, 12 year old world, we were both just completely enamored by this woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so my introduction to Lady Gaga was most people's introduction to Lady Gaga. It was her big hit yeah. that just, I mean, skyrocketed her to fame. Mm-hmm. So from there... It's interesting because I feel like Just Dance is always up, like the base that people think of her, but a lot of people don't even talk about her until Poker Face, which is kind of interesting. I find that to be like a weird... I've noticed that as well. Yeah. And I want to know what Poker Face did. I think it was just the biggest of the hits that she accumulated so far, but I agree with you. I feel like when Just Dance came out, it was like, yeah, we we see you. We know you're going to be in this space. It felt like such a massive shift in not only culture, but the way we viewed women as pop stars. Like, I feel like we all came here to play. We were like, we get it. But for some reason, it took the mainstream, maybe media, a little bit longer to be like, okay, she's not going to go anywhere. As it always does. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, she fit into that pantheon for me of Britney from Baby One More Time, mm-hmm. Beyonce with Crazy in Love, and Just Dance was another continuation of just like, wow, I want this woman to be on my playlist always. So from there, yeah, it was just, I was in dance um, until I was in grade 12. So, you know, I would always be making choreography to her songs. I would always be... Uh, listening to her latest release. Like I, she was just, I was a big fan. Yeah. Um, I never really 
considered myself like a little monster or anything like that. I think it was more seeing her as a as a dancer and as a singer. Yeah. That I really connected with her. Cool. How about you? Was the when we saw her in Queens, was that that's the first time you saw her, right? Yeah, that was the first time. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> It was literally like, I mean, when she performed Just Dance, it was literally like I was back in that car in mm-hmm. Calgary on the way to the movie. Yeah. It was just like, I can't believe how, like, I can't believe the success. I can't believe the vision. Um, it's such a joy. It was such a joy to see her perform. Totally. Yeah, I, um, Just Dance was also my first introduction to her, and I'm a little bit older than you, so I was in college when the... Um, video came out and I remember um, seeing it on Perez Hilton. Did you ever look at that gossip site? Kind of. No, it kind of, it was really popular for like a couple of years and then kind of died down. But anyway, um, kind of on it all the time, getting the scoop and seeing the video and seeing the vision and the styling and the way she carried herself was so cool. Um, and then I saw, I've seen her three times in concert before. I took my mother in Toronto. I flew back from New York to Buffalo to see her, um, and then we just saw her. So she's been, I definitely would consider myself like a little monster. I used to dress up for the shows and put like Coke cans in my hair, like totally all in, and just really honored the way that she creates space for people at the shows. You know, that was one of her main mantras, especially in the beginning was like, you're here because you feel unseen everywhere else. And this is going to be your space to dance and to release and to feel like goddesses. And it was such a powerful mantra, I think, especially as a young woman to be seen by her in a way um, that was so uh, moving and just made me a huge fan. And obviously the music is so good. And it's been such a joy to watch her kind of transform into you know, that version of Gaga to like the Tony Bennett era of kind of jazz and kind of getting back to the roots of the soul of the song and to now kind of this Joanne, which is, has such a country twang and is a little bit more stripped away and a little bit more personal. So had really big expectations for this film, which is probably, you know, to start a tricky thing to do. I don't think so. I think we are right <laughs> to have expectations about this film. I mean, what she has created. I feel like created, I'm trying to rationalize it in my brain of why it felt so flat. It didn't need to be flat, though. Yeah. She's so not. I mean, you have to really work hard to have a character like Lady Gaga and mess it up. Well, you know, let's get into it then. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. Let's start with things we liked about the documentary things that we thought brought joy to the screen and then let's get into some of the problems and the restructuring and the rewriting and some of the reasons that I think it could have been elevated in a different way absolutely so for people who don't know Gaga five foot two is a documentary that was made um, for Netflix that premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival and the documentary follows the story of Lady Gaga creating her album, Joanne, and then eventually leading up to the Super Bowl halftime show. So it's, it's, it fits directly into this kind of genre of film of all these like concert documentaries and, and films about these artists like Beyonce's Life is But a Dream, you know, the Bieber documentary, all of these other films that exist in the world. So this was part of that. And I think, um, when she announced it on 
her Instagram and announced it on Twitter that this was happening, we were all really excited. Totally. Because Joanne is such an incredible album. It's, it's such a departure, as you mentioned earlier, from what she had previously done. Mm-hmm. The growth on this album is palpable. Yeah. Um, and it came out at a really political time and a really emotional time for Gaga. Yeah. So the film, for me, when I saw the trailer, I was really looking forward to seeing that struggle play out on film and then have this huge redemption of the Super Bowl halftime show and the album. Right. It didn't pan out that way. <laughs> but, it, but I will say there were aspects of the film that were really amazing. So what did you enjoy? Um, I mean, we, I think the music for me was really cool. I think seeing her, you know, hit a perfect key every time was like phenomenal to see her kind of, you know, in the studio, you know, just kind of being creative. The music obviously was fabulous. It was so great to see her um, kind of working through songs. You know, I think my favorite part of the film was when she um, plays the song Joanne for her grandmother and her father is in the corner and he's getting emotional and she's getting emotional. It actually reminded me of... um, a moment in my family where my brother gave my mom a Christmas album that he recorded and played. And I think the, the joy that the arts can bring to your family and like when you share it is such a intense. And I know that feeling of being an artist and being like vulnerable with your family and being like, I'm going to bring this to you. Like, and clearly Joanne, because it's about her aunt that passed away when she was 19, um, is such an intense family drama. And like to have her, you know, have that vulnerable moment with her grandmother was, I thought, gorgeous. And I think one of my main problems with the film is the film should about should have been about Joanne. And it should have been about her making the album and her working through that with her family. And they kind of tried to capstone it at the end with the Super Bowl performance, which we never really heard about or had any emotional connection to. I mean, the music is the reason that we're there you know, to be there and to be part of the journey. So when that didn't really play out, for me, I felt like a little bit let down. Like where, like where was the rest of the footage on this kind of important keystone moment? You know, the album is, is everything and it's the most personal thing she's ever done. So I did enjoy that. You know, we talked about Florence and seeing um, her do the duet with Hey Girl. And I didn't realize they were in the same room when they recorded it. The so same cool. room. Yeah. It was amazing. And oh my gosh, the doc, the film shows them warming up and just like kind of running the notes before they start recording. And it's just like absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Stunning. I like also that we can't talk about the things we like without immediately diving into all the things we hated. <laughs> I just, uh, I mean, there's so much to discuss. I like my brain can't even kind of handle it all. The other scene that I think we both really enjoyed was the christening. And like the beauty of her, again, being with the family and having it be about kind of her as a person. I I thought that should have been the opening scene. They should have opened with her, you know, being part of this really warm family event. Because the other thing I loved about that was that she still looked like Gaga, you know, to be able to hold space and to be able to be in those spaces as yourself, as an artist, with your family, seamlessly integrated. Like she clearly brought that little flower headband for the mother. Like I loved that. That should have been the opening um, and those, yeah, I, I wish there were more family moments. I think the film in general should have been about that and less about whatever it was. 
Yeah, the moments when she really shined was um, going back to the scene with her grandmother. You know, they're both wiping away tears at the end of hearing this incredible song about Joanne that she wrote. Mm -hmm. Um, Her father gets up and leaves the room. Like, there's just, there's so much going on in that, in that moment. And she says to her grandma, did I get it right? Mm -hmm. And there's, like, I get goosebumps just saying it. Like, it's just such a, to see Lady Gaga, who's a superstar, Mm -hmm. kneeling down beside her grandma and, like, I'm not going to put this on the album. Unless I got it right. If I didn't do it. Yeah. And I think that there's such a power and such a beautiful intention behind that. And to know that she wanted her grandmother's blessing mm-hmm. before putting that song on the album is such a, it's such a powerful thing. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the weird things for me about the film, so I know we talked a little bit about, we've been talking on and off for the last 24 hours about this movie, but um, so I did some research about the director whose name is... Um, I can't pronounce his last name, but his first name is Chris. So that's what I'm going to call him. Chris, the director of Gaga Five Foot Two. This is his third film. He um, previously directed Me at the Zoo, which um, I believe premiered at Sundance. And then Banksy Does New York. And Sheila Nevins actually tapped him at HBO to do Banksy Does New York. And he basically talked to Lady Gaga's manager and said, I'd like, you know, maybe this would be cool. And the manager was like, yeah, why don't you go over and like hang out and see if you guys have a connection? And so the the opening footage of her like cooking food and like getting a massage, that was the first day he met her. And that's what he chose to open the film with, his introduction to Lady Gaga. And I feel like that speaks a thousand volumes because when he talks about his relationship to her, he says, I liked her work and I thought it would be cool to like explore who this person is. He didn't come as a fan. He didn't come as somebody who was like archived into the music. He was like, I, I respect her as an artist. I don't know a lot about her as a person. And like, so we're entering into this. And I think that was something that was so painful for me as a, as a huge fan to watch was that we had this perspective that was like, who is this person? And it was like, we know who this person is. And I feel like for them not to address like her fans, not to talk about Tony Bennett, I feel like we missed huge chunks of her life. It was like, hello, <laughs> are, we, are we seeing this person for the first time? It just felt kind of, you know, amateurish to me that there wasn't kind of the respect and honoring of like, who, who is the audience for this? It felt like he was the audience for this. It was his exploration of who she is. And I, thought, I found that to be jarring as a, as a fan and as a woman. And it was very, it felt strange to me. That is so interesting because the opening scenes are so contrived and now we know why yeah because you spend time with someone for the first time and you let they let you into their house it's going to be that kind of like nobody's really there's not a lot of yeah she's like speaking to the camera instead of because she's kind of like talking to him it's like it's so i don't know it just it's very bizarre that is it was a bizarre bizarre opening it was a very bizarre opening, but obviously, I mean, it'd be like if we were to make a film about someone that we've like heard on the radio once or twice, and then it's like, oh, I think I want to know who this person is yeah. without actually knowing who this person is. Mm-hmm. Should we just get into all the things we hated about this? Yeah, film? please. What jump? Ra- I mean, I've already <laughs> clearly started. Right. So the director is first and foremost a problem. 
I'm never going to understand why we can't hire female directors to tell female stories. Joanne is a profoundly feminist album. I listened to it on the way over here. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's already such a... I mean, if he had come to this film as a fan or if it was somebody who had loved her and saw a vision for how he wanted to really bring people into her world and bring people into this very unique perspective that she has for everything that she does. Mm-hmm. That would have been a totally different story. But it felt Absolutely. so sterilized. It felt so lacking in any kind of emotional engagement. I mean, I think for me, one of the key problems with the film was her health narrative and the fact that they continued to kind of build out this this narrative around her health. And I, I think the intention was that, look at her, she's going through this painful procedure and and she's thriving and she's and she's living on and she's pushing through it. You know, this is ridiculous, but I'm going to tell the story. My father, when he was a high school quarterback, <laughs> just stay with me. For I'm a ready minute. for this to circle just, back already. Just, I love just it. Just stay with me for a minute. Um, this is like a story that my family tells all the time. It's like I can't get away from it. But anyway, he broke his arm during a big game, whatever Friday Night Lights. High school quarterback broke his arm and played through the game. Because he had to, and maybe it was a sprain. You're giving me a look like he was, whatever. You, sometimes you have to work through the pain as, a, you know, as an artist, as a creator, as somebody who wants the best for your work. Because at the end of the day, you want to see that through. And I hear that, and I feel that, and I think that's a great narrative, and like blah, blah, blah. But what we're seeing is a woman who is exhausted, who's in pain, who's not finding any joy in the work she's doing. I mean, I felt bad watching this movie. I felt... Um, I don't, I, I felt horrible. I felt like, why are we doing this to her? Like, why, why are we seeing this? And then for it to be kind of this glorification of her going to the Super Bowl, I was like, I felt sick about it. It really upset me. It, the glorification of her going to the Super Bowl and performing for a bunch of people who aren't her audience. Uh-huh. She killed herself to get to the Super Bowl halftime show. And it's a stadium full of people who could care less. Also, in such a politically heated time, how come we didn't name or talk about any of that? Where was the choice to make it a mainstream show as opposed to a political statement? You know, how can she be protesting the Trump Towers of Cher one day and not name it? I thought that was like a really weird blank spot that they just didn't address. I don't know if the Super Bowl was weird about it. They didn't. We obviously didn't see any of that meeting, which was kind of like, why are they even showing it to us? I, I thought that was a really big letdown, too. What are the decisions that go into making this? Because obviously, she's, she names Trump at one point in the documentary. Um, so it's like, we exist that he's here, but we're not going to talk about it. And I thought that was really bizarre. Well, and it almost trivialized him as not a real threat. Like, she talks about wanting to put on Trump as a way to put herself to sleep when she's yeah. in immense pain. Ugh. And it's like, that's an unacceptable... And we both know that's not the perspective that she holds. She's, right very engaged and she's very serious about politics. Well, and they show her doing the part of that concert for Hillary, but they don't talk about it being for, it was, and the concert became about like how good she felt in her body and not about the, whatever. It was, it, that politics was a very weird structure. Agreed. But yeah, the health narrative, I thought it was devastating, especially since we know she's in the hospital right now. Ugh. And can we all just say like, I hope she gets well soon. Yeah. Oh my God. So horrible. So scary. Yeah, I mean, I think as women um, and as creators and as artists, um, it's 
really it's it almost made me feel guilty mm-hmm. to watch her go through day in and day out going to the studio with mark ronson um Ugh, doing ronson. interviews <laughs> i can't even open that can of worms at this moment yeah um going to the studio doing right just doing the work that it takes to be gaga every day mm-hmm. and she's sobbing at yeah. the end of every day and sometimes in the middle of the day and sometimes in the morning and it just looks like somebody on the verge of a breakdown and quite frankly she came across as unhinged yeah which is so scary to see well i mean and it, it's so it's so relatable i think to be so exhausted and to keep pushing through and it actually reminded me of hillary being sick on the campaign trail and just moving forward i mean i think as women we're so conditioned to just keep going and keep going and i think it would have been revolutionary for her to have not done the Super Bowl and to say, hey, I'm unwell and this is insane and I'm working five jobs and I need a break and like make space for herself. I mean, to watch her have to go through that and then to have her, I mean, and I don't, I'm sure there was a lot of joy at the Super Bowl, but it felt on screen and for what they showed us, like a painful experience. Like she was trying to find the joy, trying to find the, you know, energy. And, you know, like you were saying earlier, like, where is she getting fuel from? Where's the inspiration from? Where is she finding her, you know, filling up the well to keep going? I felt like we just saw her just in this treadmill of job after job and photo op and makeup. And it just felt so, yeah, like she was on a treadmill. Yeah. And I think that we've hit on this comes back to who is the audience for this film. You know, there wasn't a payoff of seeing her interact with her fans and feel very filled up by the love that they give her every day. There wasn't the payoff of her having a great day in the studio and feeling really centered with the album and feeling ready to release it to the world. We don't see her with her girlfriends relaxing and cooking. I know cooking is a big part of her life and we Mm -hmm. don't see her um, being with them and taking time off and, you know, kind of talking with them about how you need to take time away in order to be fully present in the moments when you are working. We just see her. I mean, it's like the idea of being tied to the midway. You're you're not really present for anything. You're not. You're just treating it like a job. Yeah. And there was no joy. There was no joy, but also maybe there wasn't a lot of joy in that time in her life when they were filming. But there, then there needed to be something else that shows how she's making it happen. Or she needed to not be in the physical pain. And, you know, she was doing it as a job, getting through, executing. Sometimes it's not all fun and games. But to see her then also in the physical pain just felt gutting to me. Like, what are we doing to this woman? Like, she's, it just didn't come, didn't feel like it was coming from a place of, like, she needed to be doing it. It felt like she had to. And that was a big quandary. Yeah, the doctor's visits and the doctor's visits with interviews, with recordings, with, oh my gosh, if it sounds exhausting, it's because it is. If you watch this documentary, you will be exhausted by the end of it. Yeah, and I think you feel really guilty. I think it was ugh, on and on. I mean, I think one of the other things that was really confusing to me was like the sexualization of Gaga in this movie. You know, and you and I kind of looked at each other. There's like this side boob shot where she's like dancing around and they kind of like pan to her breast. And I'm like, what? Like, this is Lady Gaga. Like, don't you dare, don't you fucking dare, like, treat her like she's like a pinup girl. Like, this is a woman who has used her sexuality and her expression for, from a place of power. This is not for your male gaze. And for them to, you know, have the film be portrayed in that space was so demeaning. And, like, even that shot where she comes out of the limo and she's like, she's a glamour girl. It's like, who, do you even know who this woman is? It was outrageous. And that, 
like really upset me. Especially when she just finished that scene with the side boob comes in right after she just finishes saying how problematic it is to work with male producers, how she, I mean, she names Kesha's experience without fully naming it. Mm -hmm. um, and she also talks about how whenever producers have wanted her to be sexualized, she's covered herself in blood or she's, you know, killed the man at the end of it. Or like, there's always this twist that she says makes her feel like she still is in control. Right. And she had no control well, over the portrayal of well, this. Well, I have a little uh, research bomb for you. She didn't see the movie until it was completed. She saw it the day before they released it. She probably lost her mind. I mean, who's to say? I guess the director said, like, everybody around her, the creative house or people were, like, working and saw it, and they all said they loved it, and then basically all told her that they loved it, and she didn't see it. I believe it was until the day before or the day it came out or whenever they had finished the final. But, yeah, she wasn't part of the process at all. I which, mean, it which shows. I think, which I think also, like, sometimes I think as an artist, and I'm sure with her, she has such a, like, a intense critical view and eye. And, you know, sometimes you don't want the artist involved. You don't want somebody, like, you know, totally being in your, in your space if you want it to be objective. Um, but at the same time, maybe find a creator or a producer or a director that is going to honor the space and the intention of what you want it to be. And I feel like they really, it felt like a real miss, unfortunately. It really did. I will also say too, you know, as a sexual assault survivor, I, I also was kind of not bummed, but I feel like that's such a huge part of Gaga's story. And that was such a nar narrative arc of what got her here was kind of the understanding and the depression she went through about talking about her rape. And I felt like they missed a real opportunity to address that as well. You know, they do kind of give a nod to Kesha, but we don't ever hear any more about kind of the issues and the thoughts that actually play Gaga. They keep talking about like, in the beginning, you know, she's talking to all these guys about like women's issues. It felt like such a weird, it felt like, let me explain feminism to men f for this male director. And let's add this in the beginning so people get it. It just felt so like disconnected for me. And I felt like they missed an opportunity to talk about that and to get into it and to get into her relationship with Tony Bennett and how the two of them as artists kind of worked through that depression to be here and to find Joanne. And I felt like how we got there um, was really lacking. Absolutely. I mean, you've hit on such an important point of this documentary for such a personal album. It was extremely impersonal. We don't hear from Tony Bennett. Mm -hmm. We don't hear from Sonia, who's her friend who has cancer that Grigio Girls was written for. Mm -hmm. um, we don't hear from her manager, which is, you really kept, wanted to hear from him. I kept saying that. Where's the manager? Where's the manager? And you were like, we don't know their relationship. Like, I don't know. Da, 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 da. But like, he's the gatekeeper. Like, where are their conversations? Where are they talking about the structure for the Super Bowl? Where are they talking about who they're hiring for the event? I just, there were so many, and they kind of did this in the Beyonce documentary too. Like, the actual interesting things we did not get to see. And like, the footage there, I just, I, w I was told you after we watched it, I was like, I need the second cut. Like, what, what are we missing? What footage did they get that they not include? Like, that, I was freaking out. I felt like there were so many points and nuances that... Yeah, I would, I would like to recut the movie. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we should, we should absolutely redo this film. And I think 
it speaks to, I'm wondering if he didn't have access to any of the other people or if the interviews he got with them weren't good because... Well, it almost felt intentional because there weren't any other interviews. This was definitely a film. The, o- the only person that talked to the camera was Lady Gaga, which was also kind of strange. You know, Verte 101 is that your subject should not be in, you know, out in the world speaking directly to the camera. We need to see her speaking and living amongst her own life, which also felt so strange to me. Like, why did they choose that as like the plot device to move it forward? It just felt very contrived. And and we mentioned this when she was like topless by the pool and she has like a smirk. Like you can almost see her going, oh, this will be good television. And it was like, no, 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 that's not what this is for. Like, and a director should see and feel those moments and go, I'm not going to put that on. Well, he should build the relationship that doesn't make her feel like she needs to put on a performance. There should be a relationship there between the documentary filmmaker and the person that he's portraying um, that gets to a deeper level. Right. And it was so surface on something that really is a very serious issue. I mean, she's in chronic pain. She's putting out this incredible album. She's doing the Super Bowl. This is like... This, should, this film should have been amazing. Yeah. There's so many dichotomies at play. There's so many extremes at play. Um, and it just, felt, it just felt so profoundly flat. And I think the other thing that was really strange about Joanne is they focus primarily on her being concerned about stripping away her aesthetic, mm-hmm. which was so annoying. Well, I have a note for that. So the director in an interview also said that the, his intention with the film was that Lady Gaga was fighting. Now, we, there was no way you were ever going to get any of this, which is why I'm explaining it to you. She, his intention was, in the beginning of the film, she's fighting against Gaga. She's fighting against the meat dress, against you know the avant-garde, against blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of the Super Bowl, I don't know if you, know, I don't know if you knew this, she finds herself again. And she steps back oh. into putting the cape on and being Gaga. That was the arc that he, he created in his brain. That nobody, that nobody got. Right. Did he want to share that art with the audience? <laughs> or did he want to portray that on films in a way that we could, could have seen it? <laughs> I mean. Yeah. And great. If that had been in the story, amazing. But we also need to know why she feels the need to step away from Gaga. Yeah. You know, her feeling like being, and this is something you told me before, she feels like she is the reincarnation of her aunt, mm-hmm. Joanne. Yeah. Which is a very interesting concept. But she doesn't talk about it in interviews, so maybe we should also clarify. And she hasn't said that in any of the press interviews, but I'm a Psycho Gaga fan. And if you go back to like the 2000 interviews, she didn't do a lot of interviews. So you can kind of stalk and go through and find. And there was like a period in college where I watched, you know, all of her interviews as one does in a YouTube like K-hole. And um, yeah, in one of the interviews, she talks about how, and this was obviously years and years and years before this album, how the death of her, of Joanne, like affected the family. And she feels like she is a reincarnate version of her aunt and that she lives and breathes. And like one of the inspirations for her to get on stage is to speak this truth of this woman's life. And I feel like that should have been the, and she doesn't name that in the movie either. So it's like. She does name it in passing to the very uncomfortable New York Times journalist. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She says, I am Joanne. Yeah. And he is it's so funny. He has his arms crossed. And Why his do you think he was uncomfortable? I didn't read that. Because there's a camera in his face, and I'm sure they did absolutely nothing to be like, hey, we're going to do this thing. Yeah. I mean, he's getting an exclusive preview of the album. Mm-hmm. They probably sent a journalist who couldn't emotionally handle what that subject matter is about. Well, also to your point about her being unhinged, like she just found out this news, and she'd been working on it, and she hasn't been sleeping. So now she's she has to be in a place where she's actually vulnerable. Of course she's going to cry. Of course she's going to lose her mind. Like I just I also sympathize with like being so tired that like 
you're just a wreck. I mean, we've all been there. And that was so hard to watch on screen for an hour. An and, hour and 40 minutes. Oh, my God. But there was no redemption. There was no payoff. There was no, like, big moment. I, I really think that if that was the movie that they were going to make, then she shouldn't have done the Super Bowl. She should have, like, they should have taken a stake and said, actually, I'm going to, like, reclaim my life, that, like, this is unhealthy. And, you know, for this to be an example now for young women to, like, look at their lives and careers and push through their pain is, like, hugely detrimental and offensive, I think. And I think they should have restructured the film to be completely about her family and going back to her roots and, you know, finding the joy in these moments and balancing it because there was no joy. There was no balance. And it was almost like they were afraid to show her in this in a strong light, in a light where she was in control, because it felt like she wasn't. Yeah. I mean, we know the stories. We as women know the stories of putting ourselves second, pushing through pain, pushing through all of our own stuff in order to please other people. Mm-hmm. We know what it feels like to fulfill obligations. We know what it feels like to show up for others. We yeah. all do this all the time. This is a narrative that we as little girls are taught from the beginning and then we fully embrace as we become women. Mm-hmm. I'm so tired of seeing that narrative portrayed on screen. I'm so tired of it being perpetuated by people who think this is normal. I'm so disappointed to see that we still can't let go of it enough to see what it looks like when women put themselves first and when women are able to evoke self-care and be around their girlfriends and find joy in work or find joy in rest or find joy in other places. There was just no self-care aspect to her life. And I believe that. I don't think there is a self-care aspect to her life, um, which is sad in and of itself. I just, I just don't even know. I feel bad for her. And at the end of a documentary about Lady Gaga, I don't want to feel it bad for her. It felt very Britney Spears, like, circa the 90s when they did that movie about her for MTV. And I was like, oh, poor Britney. Like, isn't her life so stressful? Like, let's all feel bad for her. Yeah. The vulnerability, it was like they weren't afraid to step into, which we appreciate, obviously. But there, are, again, no balance to something greater or bigger or a mission or striving or... You know, even if they had made it, I mean, I can think of a thousand other ways that they could have tweaked this to make it feel, (sighs) I just, Can you imagine like a gorgeous montage of her hanging out with all of her friends and Grigio girls being the song that's overlaid? Can you imagine? Because you know that's happening. If she was able to, I mean, maybe she, maybe it's not happening. But when you hear that song, you just think of like pouring a glass of white wine with your girlfriends and watching The Bachelorette. Uh, yeah. It was something. Really sad. It was very um, Misty Copeland. Oh, my God. Redo. 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 Calling for a redo. Redo. A recount and telling the story properly. We also need to just name Mark Ronson as a big part of this documentary because he produced Joanne. Way too much space is given to... Mark Ronson in this film. He's almost like, he definitely, I feel like, is billed as a co-star. Absolutely. And he's almost like the hero of this movie. Everyone's oh. like, oh my God, Mark, oh my God, you're like, you're not an asshole. And so we're so excited to work with you. Like, it just felt on and on and on about him. It was very bizarre. It was very strange. It was slightly romantic in a lot of ways, the way that they framed it, which had me so confused. And there's the scene where she's in Walmart and she has a hickey on her neck, which I spotted <laughs> immediately and was she like, has a hickey. what is going on? Who gave that to her? 
you know, and we're like speculating wildly. It was just the weirdest. His relationship to it was very strange. But she also plays into that. And I think that's another strange thing about it is that she plays into him being the savior. Mm -hmm. She says, oh, Mark doesn't treat me the way that every other male producer has ever treated me. And that's why I'm able to create this album with him. And like, it's just this weird codependency that she has, Mm -hmm. which I think plays again into just how unwell she is. Well, I think, I mean, it's one thing I think when you, I'm sure coming from that environment, when you are so unseen and underestimated, like I'm sure there is such a joy about like, I'm working with a partner, I'm working with an equal, but there was such a, um, like a galvanizing or like a overlap or like a overflowing of like, oh my, like it was like when a man is a feminist and we're like, oh my God, stop the presses. Can we give him an award? It was just, it felt so heavy and it didn't need to be. It's great. I'm glad they have a great working relationship. I, what, what, who cares? I don't know. It's still, it should be about her. And it felt like at times it was about him. And that felt confusing to me. Okay, so... Netflix gives you the rights to make the documentary about Lady Gaga. Yeah. What would you do? Just in general. What is the dream film? What do we wish we had watched? Tell me how you would have constructed this movie about Mother Monster. Um, I mean, I think for me, something that I was interested in and a theme that I wish they pulled more was the politics. And I think, you know, we're living in Trump's America and, you know, we have to acknowledge that. And I think for me, it would have been you know, in the same way, like I'm reading Hillary Clinton's book right now, um, which is phenomenal. And I'm like, it's very cathartic and there's a lot of joy. I want to see the resistance. I want to see the resilience. And I feel like I want to see her, you know, working in the lines between being this mega superstar and being this artist that's moving forward in a really authentic and meaningful way. And I feel like we didn't get to see the vision and we didn't get to see I mean, but with the health stuff, like, had I been the director, I probably would not have, like, seeing somebody in that much pain and that much, like, I don't know if I would have made that movie. I don't think that I would have um, subjected somebody if they're really physically, chronically ill. I would not have put them on screen. I would have felt like I was exploiting them. So I would not have been able to make that film um, unless we had figured out or, you know, something that's confusing to me and the reason that I was calling for the re-edit is, like, where is the, if, if you're in that position and you're building that relationship, there must have been moments or times or conversations that illuminated the joy and the intention of why this is being, why she's pushing herself. And I feel like we didn't get that. Like, where is that footage? And like you said, whether it's with her girlfriends or like the places that she can refill, there was no balance to that. I think there's a lot of joy in seeing women be vulnerable and, you know, I don't want to take that away from the movie, but like, if that's all we're seeing, then I don't think that's healthy at all. And I think I will say the sexual assault for me and her coming out as a rape survivor really changed my life. And that was a narrative that really empowered me to tell my story. And I feel like for them not to go there when that's such an iconic, at least maybe for me, and maybe that's personal. And no, maybe that's, I think that was a big, I think that was a big thing for many people in the world. Yeah, and for her to do that song for The Hunting Ground, I mean, that for me is who Lady Gaga is. She's a person who is uplifting and, you know, shaking up culture and defining culture. And I didn't feel like I got to see that. I got to see this other weird male gazy version of who this woman is. 
and it almost felt like a disservice. And we were talking about it, you know, at the end of last night. And I was like, as a fan, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't even want fans to watch this because it's so unrepresentative of who she is to us that it feels like something else. Yeah. Yeah, it's like we're in Trump's America, but there's this entire Lady Gaga world that went completely untapped. Mm -hmm. That is the foundation of why she is who she is. Yeah, I mean, to think about like her screaming in, and she did a little bit of this in her concert, um, you know, for us in Queens, but like when she screams that like, you know, she's a mother monster and like you're here and you're seen and you're valuable and you're worthy. Again, it harkens back to Hillary Clinton's concession speech of like speaking to girls directly about how powerful they are. Gaga has the power to, you know, infuse us and inspire us. Where was that? It just, I can't, like, I'm baffled by this movie. I am baffled. I'm baffled too. And I think that it's such a missed opportunity. It's, it's perpetuating a very problematic thesis and storytelling Mm -hmm. about women um and I think it just did nothing to it could have been a piece of media that made us all feel so seen after everything that happened last year and yeah it didn't do it I wanted to feel joyful at the end when it just like ended like we were talking kind of over the ending of like the Super Bowl (laughs) and we were kind of like well now we're back at the Super Bowl and like this is a theme and it was so confusing and then boom it ended and I was like what you actually said to me that was the ending in case you didn't notice that was the end (laughs) Oh, my God. Disaster. I'm just exhausted thinking about it. And, like, I can't. I feel horrible about it. I, lo- I love her. I love her. And this was not done properly. No, not at all. I have nothing else to say about this movie. It's actually it's like causing me pain to keep thinking about it. But I am curious. I mean, Lena Dunham posted either this morning or last night that she had watched the film and that she had felt very seen by it. And that was a feminist text. And she especially connected to the chronic pain and um, portrayal of Gaga's physical struggle mm-hmm. through the work, um, which is something Lita Dunham has been very vocal about. You know, she was hospitalized after Girls ended. Totally. Um, so I think that's interesting too. And I hope that women come together in public spaces to have conversations about it, you know? I think that while I felt completely unseen by this film, it's it's powerful to hear that Lena Dunham had the opposite feeling. Um, so I think if we, if, I think if the silver lining that comes out of this movie is that women start talking about their own experiences and start talking about their struggles with chronic pain or exhaustion or depression or sexual assault, mm-hmm. then that's a great thing. I'm not gonna be a part of it. <laughs> I agree with you, but again, like the health narrative was not that of like a solution. Yeah. It was like, let's just run this woman into the ground. But for chronic pain, people who struggle with chronic pain, there isn't a solution because Mm -hmm. so much of it is undiagnosed and so much of it is invisible. Yeah. She looks physically fine. Right. And she is just feeling like she's been hit by a car. Yeah. Great point. And she even names the privilege of like having, you know, the space and the doctors and the help to be able to figure it out. And a lot of people don't. And that's for sure a real conversation to be had. So I hope it's, I hope that that, I hope that's taken up. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Well, (laughs) what are you excited about? What's coming up? Um, things that are coming up. I mean, I'm excited to get into all of the uh, new television that's going to be streaming for the fall. Excited to get into it all and, you know, 
And I'm excited to have these conversations with you, Diana. I'm excited about it too. I feel like we've just given ourselves a platform for what we do over iced coffee every day. So it's gorgeous. <laughs> and thanks to our producer, Kat, for listening to our diatribe about Lady Gaga for days and days. It takes a strong man to do this. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Attention Springwood, my name is Josh Krebs. And I'm Liz Richards. And we're the hosts of Bloody Date Night. So Josh and I have been dating for four years, and Josh loves horror movies, and I hate him. Yeah, so each episode we go through the horror movie franchise canon to watch an episode and then meet up and we discuss it together. And so far it's been going pretty well, right Liz? I think it's gone pretty well so far. Yeah, each episode I try to see how far I can push Liz to watch a really good horror movie until she basically leaves me and it hasn't worked yet. Not yet. And it's awesome because you're the Tatum to my Sydney. You're sweet. And here's a clip from one of our recent episodes. Hello, I'm Exposition. Hey, let me t- let me tell you what just happened. There's a break-in at this costume store. Somebody stole some ropes, some knives. Somebody stole a mask. They stole $250. <laughs> they scared a cat. They took two boas. They took two boas. Two feather boas, one uh, set of angel wings. It's one of those goddamn... They're probably having a burlesque. <laughs> probably doing a burlesque show later. I don't know. Oh, Haddonfield. What isn't happening? Haddonfield's first burlesque <laughs> club. That'd be amazing. I would love that. Um, the Lacey Pumpkin. The Lacey... Ooh. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!